Well, when you go through seasons of, of suffering or of, of great setback in your plans or seasons of great temptation, uh, a lot of times it's easy to wonder uh, of, of all of the plans God could have had for me, how is this God's plan for me? Of, of every way and direction that my life could have gone, this is the one way that he's kind of written my story and taken me along. That becomes both a comfort and a difficult thing to grasp when you go through unexpected sufferings, temptations, and setbacks. And so we can find ourselves in situations where a young man at 28 years old can be sitting all alone in a house that he bought for himself and his bride but he sits there alone and asks God, of all the plans you could have had for my life, Father, how could it be that I would meet this woman at 26, get engaged to her at 27, and then she would die so tragically at 27 and a half? How, how is that your plan for me? Or you can go through a season of unemployment and look back on two or three years of unemployment and wonder, Father, if you want productivity out of me, if you've called me to, to provide for my family in this way, why is it of all the ways you could have ordained my life that, that two or three years of unemployment where I wasn't doing much for the economy and I wasn't earning much for my family, that that, that was your plan for me? Or through a long season of temptation, you can imagine someone who has a, a, a genetic disposition toward alcoholism, toward addiction to alcohol, and goes through maybe a two-month period where every day they are craving a drink, having to resist that temptation and looking to God and saying, God, of all the plans you could have had for my life, why is a long season of deep temptation toward drunkenness so a part of them? Now, it's a comfort to know that everything is in God's hands and that he ushers all things together for the good of his people. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. And as people of the Bible, we believe that all these things are in our lives for our good. But connecting the dots of, okay, how was that strange thing and this turn that my life took and this strange curve that I went through, how was that a part of God's good plan for my life to bless me forever? And that's the question I want to begin to answer this morning, because after one of our favorite verses as a people, Romans 8.28, comes today's verse, Romans 8.29. Uh, many of us have verse 28 memorized, right? For we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So we know that all this stuff in our life has a purpose, and it's good. But what is that purpose? Well, that's what verse 29 tells us, and that's what we're going to dive into today. I pray as we do, God allows you in some measure to connect the dots with all the strange, unique things in your life, your versions of those stories that I just told, and that you can connect them with the purpose, the great and wonderful purpose that God has for his people. Let's look together at Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The words of the Lord. And we focus this morning on those words to be conformed to the image of his son. In these words, what we have is a vision for every Christian's certain and irrevocable destiny. 
a vision for what God is doing in your life right now and how it connects with what he plans to do in you, with you, and through you forever. And I pray what it does for you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray what it does for you is give you great hope and comfort in whatever strange sufferings and temptations and opportunities and setbacks and everything else that are part of your story, that it would give you endurance through those things so that you might meet the glorious end that we'll eventually talk about this morning. And if you are here with us and you would not say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you first of all and tell you how glad I am that you are here. And I want to be as direct as to say that I pray that what you'll see this morning through this one verse is how much better Jesus is than anything that the rest of the world can offer you. Whatever hope you may have right now, or may not have right now if you think everything is all meaningless, what Jesus has for you is a better, a more sure, and a more certain destiny. I pray that you'll see that this morning as we look at this, and that you will find Jesus, as many of us have, so wonderfully compelling and worthy of our worship that you will come to him, receive mercy and forgiveness from him, and live a life in worship of him. So first what I want to do is compare this verse to verse 28, and then we'll talk about just what it means to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Now, I hinted at this earlier, uh, but one way you can understand verse 29 here is to compare it with verse 28. Uh, As I said earlier, a lot of us take comfort in verse 28, right? Because it says that everything in your life is being worked together for your good if you love the Lord. That's good news, right? And it's even being worked according to his purpose, it says. And so, man, we got a lot of comfort there, right? But it leaves you with a question. Okay, what's that purpose? If I follow Jesus and everything in the world is being ordained and shuffled around into something that will bless me eternally and be in accords with God's purpose, what, what is the purpose that he has for me? And that is what verse 29 answers. His purpose for us, what we are destined for, it says, is to be conformed into Jesus' image. That is God's certain purpose, certain destiny for every believer of Jesus Christ in this room today, to be made more like Jesus Christ in many wonderful ways. So if verse 28 tells us that he has a purpose, verse 29 tells us what that is, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now the next few words, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, tell us why God would do this. Of all the plans he could have for the universe, why would it be to make you more like Jesus, right? Of of all the many things he could be doing, why does he want that? Well, the reason it says here is that he doesn't just want one beloved son. He wants his son Jesus to be the first among many brothers. So you might think of it like this. Uh, Many of you know the story of Jesus' baptism, right? He is lowered in the water. He's taken back out of it. Uh, God, God descends on him like a dove, the Spirit of God does, and there's a voice from heaven And some of you know what it says. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So you see there the perfect delight that God the Father has in God the Son. Uh, Of all of the things he could delight in, his greatest treasure, his own son, Jesus Christ. Perfect delight. Some of you know a little bit of what that feels like. Maybe you have children that you delight in. You know what it's like to delight and be well-pleased with a child. The father knows this perfectly, and it is how he feels about his son. Some of you know what it is like maybe to have a really good employee who excels above others. Or if you're a teacher, a really good student who excels above others. 
And you may have caught yourself saying something like, man, I wish I had a hundred like her, right? Oh man, I wish I had a hundred students like this one, like this one in whom I am so very delighted and pleased. Well, one way to think about what the father is doing here is he looks upon his son Jesus and is so delighted in him that he says, I wish I had millions like him. I wish I had millions of sons that I delight in. And so he has orchestrated all of history to create for himself a people of every tribe and tongue and nation who are being made more like that glorious son. He has that much delight in that one son that he reaches to you and says, I want you to be one of my children, a little brother to my perfect son, Jesus Christ, more and more like him, conformed gloriously into his image. And so here is what he has done then. The great problem here, of course, is that of all of the people on the world who could be these glorious sons, we have all rebelled against him, right? And so uh, he looks to all of us. The Lord looks down on the children of man to see if there's even one who seeks after God, and we have all turned aside, right? Together we have become corrupt, Psalm 14 says. So all of the ones who could be these wonderful, delightful little brothers to Jesus, sons like Jesus, we've all turned from. We're all traitors, right? But he wants many children like his son. And so he says to them, okay, I will send my perfect son to them. I will make him a man. God will become man. Now here he is walking on earth, God and man together. And the life he is living is fully and completely perfect. Not only this, but he chooses willingly to die in the place of those who would trust in him. And so now there is a free offer made to every person who has ever sinned against God. If you want to come back into my kingdom, if you want to move from the rebel camp into the my family camp, my children camp, all you must do, he says, is trust in my son Jesus. He, he will earn your forgiveness for you. He will secure your forgiveness for you and grant eternal life to you. So now, because of what Jesus has done, a pathway has been made to come back into God's family, to be children of God, sons of God, heirs of God, being made more and more like Jesus Christ. Now God has the thing he desires. Millions and millions of children who are being made more like his son, Jesus. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're one of those sons, whether you're a man or a woman, right? A son is an heir in the ancient world, and you're an heir whether you're a man or a woman in the kingdom, right? You're one of those sons being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect son, the image of the invisible God. So the call I want to make before we dive into it is, if, if you would not count yourself as one of those who trust Jesus Christ for that forgiveness, for that entry back into God's kingdom and family, I would call you right now, receive all of these blessings that we'll talk about this morning simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. Just place your faith in him. Uh, and if you're willing to do that this morning, I hope you'll talk with me or one of the deacons or Paul or whoever brought you here this morning about that. The next step is following him in baptism, which we'll talk about a little bit this morning. Uh, if you are willing to place your faith in him like this, all of these blessings become yours, secured by the blood, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's God's great plan for the universe, redeeming a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and then making them more like his son. And if you're a Christian, that's God's destiny and God's plan for you as well. So that means when it comes to this verse, 
God is orchestrating every detail of your life to make you more like his son. You wonder, what's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of that whatever I just went through? They all have the same purpose, to make you more like his son, Jesus. Or as Romans puts it here, to be conformed into the image of his son. Now, the first way this happens is just simply through baptism, right? Jesus is baptized. We follow him in baptism. And that is why when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the next thing you do is baptism, right? Burial in water, resurrection from water. Once you have gone through that, we have then six ways we're going to look at this morning that the Lord is orchestrating every detail in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. I'll rattle all of them off in case you're what there. I see a lot of you like writing down when I say this stuff. So all of you writer downers, here are all six of them, and then we'll go through them one at a time. First, good works, temptation, suffering, death, resurrection, and ruling the earth. Now, part of why I'm giving you all that now is I want you to see the progression, right? There's a story there, isn't there? I'll say them all again. Right now, the first three, you're going through them right now if you're a believer. Good works temptation, and suffering. You'll go through those the rest of your life. Then, the fourth one, you'll die as Jesus died. And then fifth, rise as Jesus rose. And then sixth, rule the earth alongside Jesus. The first three of those, Jesus has done perfectly already, and you are doing them now if you're a believer. The fourth and fifth, death and resurrection, you will do unless Jesus comes back first. If he comes back first, you get to skip those two. And then, no matter what, toward the end, if you're a believer, you'll be ruling the earth with him forever. That's where we land forever. The rest of this is just stepping stones to get there. Let's walk through all six of those. Okay, first, Kristen, you are destined to walk through good works, just like Jesus walked through good works. Now, even his enemies will usually admit to you that Jesus was a good person who did good works on the earth. I don't think I've ever met a person who knew who Jesus was and wouldn't at least say that he was a real person who did some good things while he was on the earth. He's that widely known for his good deeds. You can read about them in the Gospels, so many wonderful things he did for people. So many times he looked at someone and loved them and said just what they needed to hear. So many times he looked at them with compassion and said, oh, they're sheep without a shepherd, I will unite them together. He did so many good things for people. And what God in heaven wants is not one son who does good works, but many children who do good works. And so he is making you more and more like Jesus by making you the kind of person who does good things as you walk through your life. Now, Ephesians 2.10 says this really plainly. Uh, It says that we're his workmanship, and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we would walk through them. And that verse tells us of two things that he's doing to, to make you into a person who is doing good works like Jesus. First, he's working inside of you. He's, he's making you the kind of person who would do good things, right? You are his workmanship, it says. So he's working in you, making you into a kinder person, a better person. He's doing that internally. At the same time, it speaks of the work outside of you God is doing. He also prepared beforehand good works that you would walk through. So this means he is orchestrating situations, setting you up, and you walk right through them. And there you are, this person who has been made into a better person, walking through a situation God has set up for you in which you can do a good work, 
And boom, there you go. You do the good thing. He's done the internal work in you, and he's arranged the scenario outside of you. This is what it means that he is, you're his workmanship, and he's prepared beforehand good works that you could walk through. So maybe just one example. Um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness, right? You become a more and more kind person the longer you follow Jesus. So there's the internal work that he's doing in you. He's making you more kind, right? Now let's say you've become more and more kind over the years, And here you are in church, and after church today, you learn of a family in our church who went from being in pretty deep need to all of a sudden great crisis financial need, just financial crisis going on in their homes. You learn of this, and you happen to have extra that you can share with them. Now, God has done the internal work in you, right? It's made you a more kind person. And he set up this whole scenario where you happen to have more and they happen to be in need and you happen to have heard of it. None of those were just happenstance. The Lord did all of those things. And it's just natural for you now to say, oh, I I need to go and help them. So you go over there and you're helping them and you're showing kindness. God in heaven is saying, now I don't just have one kind son. Now I have many kind children. And he is making you more and more like his son as you grow in kindness. Now, that's true not just of kindness, but of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of all of the fruit of the Spirit, and all of the work that the Lord is doing to make you a better person who does good works in this life. So that's the first way you're becoming like Jesus in this life, being made into a person who does good works and being put in situations where you can exercise that. Second, a Christian's destiny is to be tempted as Jesus was tempted. Now the Gospels tell us, Matthew and Luke, they both tell us of 40 days Jesus spent in the desert. Right? After he was baptized, the Spirit led him out into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. The angels ministered to him and Satan tempted him. Now, I don't know what it's like to have 40 days of hunger, and maybe one or two of you do, maybe none of us in this room know what 40 days of hunger feels like. Certainly none of us know what it is like to have Satan put all of the kingdoms of earth before you, to see all of their great accomplishments and all of the people, and to know that they would all fall down before you as their king, if only you would worship Satan. But this is what Satan does to him, right? I will give all of them to you if you would worship me. So the great temptation that Jesus felt to have all the kingdoms as his before the due time, before his father would give them to him, none of us know quite what that feels like. But we do have some comfort there. Whatever temptation we're going through, he has been through that and more, right? He had all the kingdoms of the earth but before him dangled as bait, and he still emerged victorious, right? He quotes the word of God to him and says, be gone, Satan, right? So he emerges victorious from temptation. And God the Father is making you like him as you endure temptation and come out victorious from it as well. Then he says, now I don't just have one son who who won, who had victory in temptation. Now I have many children who have victory in temptation. So that means when you, uh, let's say your kids or your grandkids are testing your patience and you just kind of want to bite at them, right? You ever felt this? Uh, You have strength now to say no, right? To to, to not bite at them. Uh, why, Why would you have strength? Why would God be equipping you? Well, because 
Jesus knows just what it's like to be walking with his disciples and teaching them forever and them just not getting the point and not understanding and still squabbling amongst each other. And you read him saying things in the gospels like, how long am I to bear with this generation? At one point he turns to Philip, he says, how long have you known me, Philip? And, and you still don't understand what I'm trying to, how long have you been with me and you still don't know me? That's what he says to him, right? So his patience was being tested by his disciples every day and yet he never fell to impatience even once. He emerges victorious from that temptation. When your patience is tested by whoever's in your life and you come out victorious, God the Father in heaven is saying, I don't just have one patient son now. I have many patient. I have one more patient child. And that's the delight that he wants to have in all of his children. This means something very profound for single men uh, who are in many cases struggling with sexual temptation. Um, it, is, it is difficult, as some of you know firsthand, to be an adult man and be single and have no wife and have that temptation on you all the time. But remember, young men especially, you have a Lord and a Master who endured the very same temptation. Jesus lived until he was 33, we can presume. And that means that he lived through all of those years in which a young man's drive to be united to his wife is the strongest, right? And yet, he was without even a hint of immorality. And many of those years, he spent around women who adored him. And yet, never once did he abuse or take advantage of that trust that those ladies placed in him. That means, young man, fighting sexual temptation. Every time you emerge victorious, every time you say, no, I'm putting the phone down, I'm not looking at that. Every time you say, no, I'm not going to check that girl out. Every time you're with your girlfriend, you say, no, we're going to be pure. We're going to do this right before God. Every time you come out victorious, God the Father in heaven is saying, I don't just have one son with self-control. I have many sons, and I have given them self-control. I mean, let that give you strength as you fight that battle. You have a Lord and a Master who emerged victorious in that temptation, and you can follow him in that as well. This is just one more way that you're being made like God's Son, Jesus. So the second way then was that we are tempted as Jesus was tempted. Third way that you're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is that you are destined to suffer as he suffered. It was told in Isaiah that Jesus would be known for his suffering. And we still sing songs like, Man of Sorrows, what a name. And that means that when we suffer, we don't do it without meaning. That means it's not just some random thing that is going on, but we are actually following our Lord when we suffer. We are becoming like him. This is said a few verses earlier. If you want to scan back with me to chapter 8, verse 17. Actually, several of today's points are in this verse, but I'll just focus on a few words. Verse 17 says, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's some of what I was saying earlier. And then the next words I want to focus on now, provided that we suffer with him. Right? So when we suffer, we're not just suffering alone. We are following in his footsteps, the footsteps of the one who suffered first. The footsteps even of the one who suffered in our place. Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. If the world turns on me and hates me, the world's going to hate you as well. We will endure that. We will endure many other sufferings, but we do it as someone who is following Jesus in his suffering, and suddenly we have meaning and purpose in every difficulty that we face. 
That means that when we endure physical pain, we are following in the footsteps of someone who endured physical pain. Uh, Some of you have told me stories of, of kidney stones and of nerve pain and of surgeries gone wrong and so many other things. And some of you have even said, it hurt so bad I wanted to die. And if you've said that, you are not the only one in this church who has said that. We are people who have endured some physical pain, sometimes even together. Uh, The worst pain that I ever felt, which is not as severe as some of you have felt, uh, there was a day on a hospital bed in an ER where they suddenly realized they needed to do a spinal tap, and so they stuck this needle super deep into my spine, and I wasn't fighting it at all because I I really wanted to know the answer to the question they were asking and the reason they were doing that spinal tap, Uh, but it sent convulsions through my body that were so strong and severe that there was a nurse there ready to pin me down and keep me still so that the needle wouldn't, I don't know, break or mess up anything in there. And she was, it was a lady, and she was there and ready as if she knew it was going to happen, like this happens every single time, Um, which means that there have been a whole lot of other people in that same bed that have suffered just like that. What I was not thinking of when I was going through that, and I wonder if maybe you, you aren't thinking of sometimes when you're enduring pain as well, is God the Father in heaven saying, I am making him more like my son Jesus, who knows what physical pain feels like who looks down upon us and says, yeah, I know what lashes feel like. I know what a crown of thorns feels like. I know what it's like to have your back ripped to shreds. I know what the splinters on the cross felt like. And this is on top of every normal, you know, stub toe and everything he had in his life. We are going Christians through this stuff as one who follows the one who went before us in these things. Some of us have endured, maybe not physical pain, but maybe the internal pain of betrayal from friends. And Jesus looks down and says, I know what that feels like. I had friends betray me too. And as we suffer through it, we're being made more like Jesus Christ who knows betrayal. Some of you have suffered the damage to your reputation that comes when other people slander you. And Jesus looks down from heaven and says, I I know what that feels like too. I had friends not only abandon me, but say things about me that weren't true. I had worthless witnesses in a court of law testify against me. He knows all of this pain. And every time we endure it, God the Father is saying, I don't just have one son who has endured suffering. I have many sons who have endured suffering. I hope you can see that that gives to the worst things about our life, which really feel like setbacks, derailings, whatever they feel like, that gives them so much more meaning than the world around you can offer to you. If the point of life is either to feel good or to make as much impact as you can in your short life before you die, or if it's kind of a mix of those two, which I think is true for most people here in the States, That means that every second of pain and every setback in your life is just wasted time. And if we're brutally honest, wasted time that shows what failure we are. Because we're not changing the world, are we? No, we're just suffering pain. We're not hitting all of our life goals, now we're just getting set back and things aren't going right. And so every little setback, every little suffering, every little temptation, everything that goes wrong is just an obstacle in the way of the goal that we'll never overcome. But Jesus says, I have something so much better for you. 
says, I've got purpose in every second of suffering. He says, I am using it for good in your life to make you more like me. That's his eternal purpose, to make you more and more like him. So if you're a believer, you're going through all three of those things, good works, temptation, and suffering now, and you'll continue going through all of those until the end of your life. And, and that's where we look now. The fourth way that you're destined to become like Jesus, you're destined to die faithfully as he died faithfully. We have very vivid pictures of his death, and often we focus on the sufferings and on things like that. Uh, it's very important, though, that as he is dying, he's doing it in faith, crying out to God, making sure his mom is provided for, uh, forgiving his enemies, doing these acts of faith even in his death. That's important because that means he was faithful all the way to death. And Christian, that's the destiny that God has planned for you as well. Unless Jesus comes back first, then you get to skip that, like I said earlier. But if he does not, right, your destiny then is to die faithfully as he died faithfully. This is somewhat of what Jesus means when he says to take up your cross daily to follow him. It's a very loaded phrase. One thing that it means is to start every day ready to die faithfully with him. You could think of your whole life as a journey up the hill of Calvary that he took. And as you're carrying and bearing that cross, you look just a few steps ahead of you, and there he is, the one that you're following up the hill. This is one very vivid image of what it is like to follow Jesus Christ. As his hill ended in a faithful death, Christian, yours will as well. A death in which you cry out to God in faith. A death in which you do not abandon the faith at the last minute. A death in which you care for your loved ones and forgive your enemies up until the very last second of your life. And so one thing then that the Lord gives us is strength to die well. Strength to do that well. This is also so much better than what the world has to offer us. Because now death isn't just the parts breaking down and it's over. Now death is following Jesus in his victorious death, in his faithful death. And I think it leads to really two things we've got to do well. One, we've got to every day be ready to die well. You never know when it's going to come. Uh, I told you earlier about that day when I had to have that spinal tap, right? Uh, here's why I had to do that. Uh, I was the day before walking through the woods with a friend. Uh, I think we took a five or so mile walk, had a great time, feeling like I was in great health. It was a beautiful spring day. Uh, the next morning, I couldn't muster the strength to get out of bed until 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, what is going on? Uh, and when I finally did have enough strength to get up, uh, I made it to the bedroom door and I collapsed on the, uh, on the door frame of the bedroom door. Uh, and so on the floor there, I said, Emily, I don't know what's going on. And I can't remember how, but we eventually arrived at, I need to go to the doctor. I need to go to the hospital and figure out what's happening. Uh, so she's taking me in. And while I'm in the passenger seat of the car there, all of a sudden I just pass out completely in the car and woke up blind, unable to see. And so temporary blindness, sudden passing out, what's going on? And I can hear Emily's voice talking to a 911 operator she had pulled over and said, you know, what, what do we need to do? Uh, they bring me into that ambulance and they're just trying to figure out like what is going on in this guy's body, like what's happening? Uh, one of the options that they were trying to evaluate was spinal meningitis. And uh, so that's why they did the spinal tap to test that fluid there. And so the idea was, you know, you, they extract the stuff and then they hand deliver it up to the lab because 
I don't want it to get lost and have to extract it again. And in an hour, I had to lay there still for an hour or else you get some kind of weird headache or something. Uh, so I had to lay there on my back for an hour. And when the hour was over, we'd get the test results back and find out if that was it. And if that was it, I had about 48 hours to live and it was time to call the kids in and you know, do all that stuff. Um, I tell you that story because I want you to know that you can be in perfect health today and tomorrow be wondering, okay, is this the end of it? The Lord can take it that quick. Our lives are a mist that appears for a while and then it vanishes. Uh, praise God, we got the results back. It wasn't that. Uh, it turned out to be something from a tick bite and they gave me an antibiotic and it cleared it up and within two days I was back into good health. But on that day, Emily and I talked through, okay, if something like that ever happens again, what's the plan? And we talked about it again this week. And this is one of the things we need to do. If death could come any moment at our doorstep, we need to have clarity with our friends, our families, our loved one. What do we want that scene to be like? And so for the Cook family, if something tragic happens, the plan Emily and I have is we'll, we'll try to be together and, and we'll sing hymns together and tell whoever it is the Lord takes them home. I wonder what you want it to be like for you. What's that faithful scene? If, if you get to plan it out now, how do you want to go? I think it's worth it to think of that now and tell your loved ones, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your kids, whoever's going to be there, so that in that moment, you can go in faith. You can go praising and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. As he died faithfully, let's, let's die ourselves faithfully as well. It also might mean just practical planning, right? Are, are things set in order to where if the Lord took you home today, your family would be taken care of the way that Jesus made sure his mom was taken care of before he went? It's part of dying well and dying faithfully. Uh, we have the strength in Jesus Christ to die well and die faithfully. This is one more way that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He says, I don't just have one son that made it all the way to the end. I have many sons who made it all the way to the end. Okay. Some of you are thinking, do I really want to be like Jesus? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um, these last two give us a picture of the destination. Why would God put us through all that, right? That's, that sounds like a bloodbath. Why, why is that God's plan for us? Here's why. Because these, Jesus didn't just die and stay dead forever, right? We don't have Good Friday and then Easter's just another Sunday, right? No, Jesus rose victoriously from the dead. And if Jesus doesn't come back before you die, if you get to die in faith, Christian, you will get to rise in faith and in victory as well. And as you do, God the Father will say of his son, the firstborn of the dead, it calls him, I don't just have one son risen in glory, I have many children risen in glory. This is the destiny that's coming for us. So 1 Thessalonians paints it like this, Jesus comes back. A trumpet is sounded. He comes up, comes down from the sky. Everybody sees him. Everybody hears the trumpet. And first, those who are dead already rise in him, right? And they're caught up in the air to meet him. And then all of us who are left here, we are lifted up there as well, and we meet him in the sky. This is the glorious picture that's painted in 1 Thessalonians. And one of the things that Philippians says is that he will then transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That means that that awesome body that he got resurrected in, right? It wasn't like I just died zombie Jesus. Like it was like a glorious, awesome body that he was raised in. Our body is going to be transformed to be like that. Now, that says something about the body image issues that 
all of us have, right? Body image things that they're more serious in some people, but I think all of us look in the mirror and we know this is supposed to be better than it is, right? Like whatever I'm looking at here, there's some glory hidden in there. I can tell there's something awesome, but it's supposed to be better than this. Why are all of our hearts set like that? Well, because the destiny that God has for his people is that we will dwell in bodies that are better than this. We will dwell in bodies that are made perfect and pure and imperishable in his name. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We don't have the most vivid picture of what that's going to look like, but we have little glimpses. Uh, Jesus appears to, in his resurrected body, either teleport or walk through a wall. It's tough to tell what happened, but something awesome there. And toward the end, he, he rises right up into heaven, presumably under his own power. And so we get these little glimpses of like, are we going to be able to do like things that we think of as like superhero type stuff in these bodies? We don't know, but we get little glimpses like that. And at the very least, when we meet him in the air, we'll be raised up to meet him in the air. So we'll get one awesome flight in either way, even if our bodies can't fly off. We'll get one good one in when he comes back. Uh, All sorts of other glimpses, these bodies will not get sick, which means no more vaccines, no more masks, no more any of this stuff, right? Praise God, right? No no more controversy about all of those things because these bodies don't get sick. They do not die. They do not feel pain. All that is difficult and hard about dwelling in this body will be no more because the sure and certain destiny of every Christian is to be raised into a glorious body. Can you imagine what sports are going to be like in that day? I mean, what will soccer be like when we could just kick balls incredible distances? Like, will, will a soccer field be like a city block? Well, I, I don't even know what this is. Good. What will volleyball be like with a 15-foot net? Like, I just, it will be incredible the things that we will be able to do. But we know this much. Jesus Christ is the firstborn among the dead. And the Father wants him to be the firstborn among many brothers. And that's why our destiny is to be made like him, conformed into his image, and raised from the dead. Sixth and last, our final destiny, forever. After we go through all five of those, we land here forever. Christian, you're destined to rule the earth alongside Jesus Christ as he rules. And that's the reason for all the other ones, right? The other five are just lily pads we're jumping through to get to this one forever. This is the original purpose you were made for. God made Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, and said, have dominion over the whole earth, right? This is the destiny of humanity. Well, Jesus the Son comes, and he conquers, and he will reign in this new heavens and new earth as he comes back. He will reign in full and complete glory and power, and will rule the earth underneath him. Now, there are some pictures of maybe there being lesser and greater. Some of us might have authority over others, or maybe there'll be some kind of hierarchy. It's really tough to tell. But we know this much. Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven will still have authority over all the created realm on earth, authority over mountains, authority over spiritual creatures like angels. We'll have the authority to judge angels. Did you know that? And so even the least one of us on that day will walk the earth, will see a mountain, and In the glory of God, we will say, Mountain, I want you to be an island. This is the kind of authority we will have over the earth to make the mountains go into the sea. Or maybe we will meet up with whatever angel it was that protected you that day you almost had that car accident and you had no idea 
And you'll get to catch up and with full authority over that angel say, I never even knew what you did for me. Let me reward you. Here is a reward. You get to do that in authority and power in the coming kingdom as we rule this earth that God has given us. We have incredible glimpses of this and they are designed just to give us hope so that we can look forward and say all of the stuff we're going through, it's so we can be there. It's to prepare us to be there. The reason God is working so much to train you in wisdom in the Proverbs is because you're going to have authority to rule in this kingdom. The reason God is putting you through everything he's putting you is to make you wise, to make you more and more like his son so that you can rule in authority and power in his kingdom. So we have there six ways then that you're being made into the image of Jesus Christ, conformed and more like Jesus. Three ways right now, walking through good works, being tempted, and suffering like him. These will end on one day when you die faithfully like him and then rise from the dead like him to rule the earth forever with him. And so here's my encouragement to you Christians. Stay the course. Cling to Jesus. For he has for you a sure and certain destiny to make you like God's son whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. Let's pray together.